Welcome to another live interview here at Strange Loop 2022. So today with us we have Chas Emmerich. Hi Chas, how are you doing today? Very good, nice to see you again. Cool, how, how was the conference so far? The conference has been great. I don't know if you know, but one of the main reasons I was here was uh, I'm uh, one of the co-organizers of the Papers We Love conference, which was uh, co-located with Strange Loop. Happens on the workshop day along with, uh, this year was like a, you know, TLA Plus and a couple other things. And so came here a little bit early to take care of that and then obviously stayed for, for the rest of what is always one of the best conferences you can go to. Actually, didn't know you were like organizing or helping the organization there with the Papers from Law. Yeah. I remember that, yeah, we, I invited you at our London Papers from Law at some point. Right. Uh, oh, I spoke at that, didn't I? Yes. At did. that loft uh, in like South London somewhere. Uh, it wasn't South London, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I didn't know that you were co-organizing it. Yeah, so I, I've always known, so the, the principal organizers like uh, Zichan Lakhani, Darren Newton, David Ashby and company, known them for a long time going back, again, into the closure sphere and related areas, sort of New York tech scene kind of thing. And I'd given talks at Papers We Love, like the locals here and there in Boston, New York, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and at some point, We've been friends for a long time. At some point I started helping out more and more. And so they sort of brought me on board. And okay. I think this is the, might be the fifth, it's either fifth or sixth PWL comp, yeah. as opposed to the local meetup style things that happen in different cities yeah. around the world or were or was prior yeah. to so COVID. We were talking about it, like let's plug, you know, for people listening, the opportunity to go and listen to the talks mm. this year and past years. So Papers We Love is, as the name says, community of people who love reading papers and sharing their love with the rest of the community and with the rest of the people interested in those papers. There's a lot of good material, from both from the past and the present. So there's um, very interesting topics that people may not know about. And this gives very nice ideas or it could give ideas to people to do other things and research other topics or implement those things in their job. Yeah, so, yeah, and it's a great way to, um, you know, insofar as you are interested in being sort of interdisciplinary, not necessarily just focused on the things that help you in your day-to-day, -day, stepping outside of that a little bit and seeing what is happening in a different research contexts um, very often can inform what you do during that day-to-day -day in a, you know, a better, more efficient way. For, uh, yeah, nice. So maybe, can you give us a little bit about your background, general background? Oh, sure. Uh, I've been professional programmer for almost 25 years now. Some list back in college and then, you know, Python and Java and all that. I ended up starting a couple of businesses. Some failed, some didn't, and stuck on the JVM with one of them. PDF documents and handling them in a variety of ways I, has turned into the common thread through everything that I've ended up pursuing. So one of those products was uh, something called PDF Extreme, which is just extracting the unstructured content out of PDF documents. And that's a, a Java and .NET library that has been around since 04 and still going strong. And I've plucked around in all sorts of other areas, distributed systems, formal methods, all sorts of stuff here and there as the years went on, just because that, that, that product had stabilized quite well and, and sort of cast around with, for new things to do and use Clojure for a lot of it, Java for a lot of it, other languages here and there. And, now I'm sort of moving on to another PDF business. It's sort of a logical next step compared to the other one. Okay, what brought you to PDFs in the first place? Oh, sure. So the first a college project of mine, I don't know if you remember, this is circa like 1998, 
there was a search engine called Metacrawler. Yeah. And so what it would do is it would, when you ran a search on Metacrawler, it would reach out for you to, you know, Yahoo and Alta Vista and Lycos, and then aggregate those results together, which was very helpful when those search engines indices were very disjoint and much smaller, obviously, than Google's now. Yeah. Um, and what I wanted to do is have that kind of functionality locally on one's desktop or whatever. And so I did that as a sort of a, a uh, one-off school project, but it worked well enough and got a reasonable amount of feedback that I wanted to turn it into a product. And so I started a business around it, which failed. That's one of the failures that came around. But when you're doing that kind of web crawling, you're following links, you get a link to a PDF, and now what do you do with it? Uh, and back in the late 90s, there outside of Adobe's official APIs, which were all in C or C++ at the time. There really weren't any options, or good options, I should say, in my opinion at the time, for extracting content out of PDF documents to index and match against the whatever query string you provided when you ran the SERP. And so I did something pretty quick and dirty at that point. And then, as I said, that, that project went away. And then, so I guess four or five years later, I was working in the insurance industry and not particularly happy with where things were going. And I wanted to start another business and make another run of things. And I'm casting around for ideas. And I thought, so I'd look back at the PDF stuff and things hadn't changed a whole lot in terms of the availability, especially on in the Java environment, which is where I was working at the time for extracting content for PDFs. And so I picked up that old code from that desktop meta search application and Worked on it, worked on it, worked on it, made it much more um, uh, principled. It was very, you know, it was a very prototype level thing at that time. And then that became PF Extreme in yeah. 04. And it got picked up right away because it really was filling a niche that yeah. wasn't being addressed. And it's been a very, very reliable, small but reliable business and has kept me with shoes on for, for the time since. Cool. So maybe we could talk about now the next adventure. Again, PDF-based, but was something missing in the well, PDF space again? Yeah, so PDF documents are, I was having a conversation with somebody actually yesterday, and they said something along the lines of how PDF documents are functionally the API between people and organizations. Yeah, um, fun, yeah. Because, you know, if you need to get data from point A to point B, and you don't have any well-established mode of interchange between you and your insurance company or your bank or businesses between each other for invoicing or whatever else. We write things down. That's how we convey information. And PDFs had just happened to be like the modern manifestation of that. And there's a great, there, there's a great need for extracting structured data from PDF documents, really rematerializing that structured data that had existed at one point from a database or some spreadsheet somewhere else that produced the PDF in the first place. You really want to reverse that process when you're consuming it, especially at scale, if you are receiving invoices from thousands of vendors or you're a government agency receiving forms from constituents, that sort of thing. You really want to materialize all that data out of that sort of deployed form in the PDF into your spreadsheets or databases and you can go work with it as if there had been a mode of interchange between you and the counterparty to, to exchange that data. But the way to do that has never been, there's, there, there's never been a good way to do that. Uh, people write, you know, one-off scraping programs using something like PDF Extreme to get that raw content yeah. out and then 
using just a mess of tools that we have at our disposal to do text processing and heuristics to find where we might expect things to exist within the document. And so people at companies all over that have these one-off projects. So, okay, we need to deal with these PDFs coming in and get that data out. And sometimes they roll their own PDF parser. Sometimes they use one off the shelf. It's a lot of work compared to if you're given a spreadsheet, you know how to get the data out of that somewhere else. If you are accessing a database, you use a query language, that kind of thing. And so I've written hundreds of those kinds of one-off data extraction programs. It was scraping PDFs to get a particular type of data out of a particular type of PDF document. And so what I've built now is a query language. Just like I was saying, like you want to walk up to a database and query it. You don't want to write a new program every time you walk up to a new database. And so likewise, I've written a query language called PDFQL. And what it allows you to do is declare the sorts of constraints you would expect to obtain in a type of document that you're targeting so as to find the type of data that you're looking for. So super simple example, if you're pulling in, if you're receiving invoices, you might say, I'm expecting to find the invoice number in the upper right corner of the page, probably labeled with something like invoice number or invoice pound or invoice NL or something like that. And then there might be some constraint you might apply to what the actual invoice number is. It must be numeric or whatever. So you just add a bunch of these. So that would be like a leaf within the query. And you can roll those up into an invoice consists of a bunch of different fields, the invoice number, the address field, the, all the data from the line items of totals and quantities and total due and terms and stuff like that. And that all rolls up into a query that describes that invoice or invoices of an entire class. Yeah. Same thing for tax documents, legal filings, on and on and on. And it works really well, it turns out. How do you deal with like the variability of some PDFs? So they seem the same, they seem all the same, and you want to extract this information. So you expect them to have uh, the same structure when they come in, because then, you know, the query would have to change every time. So if they have the same structure, then you hope to apply the same query, but then you discover that invisible to you, some of these documents were exported from another tool and so on. How this query language deal with this imperfections or fluctuations of the structure? Is there anything you can do? Yeah, yeah, so it's really up to how you write the query. So you could write a very over-constrained query and say your invoice number must exist in, in the box described by these specific coordinates, right? And obviously that would fail badly when maybe some very slight layout change happened in the PDF generation pipeline such that the invoice number isn't there anymore and you've got a broken query. And so what you want to do is use the more generic sorts of relations that are available within PDFQL and say, I expect the invoice number to be in the upper right. And if, or whatever those expectations are, equivalent to what you do when you look at a document. If you are looking at an invoice and you're looking for the invoice number and it appears in the bottom left, that's pretty non-standard. You wouldn't expect that. We would be able to figure that out pretty easily by just searching around. And you could write a PDFQL query that is, you know, location independent. And so that sort of variation is easily handled. More challenging things are where there's a true deviation in how the data that is encoded within the PDF is uh, shifted around in terms of optionality as a thing for, you know, some, some types of uh, PDF documents may or may not have these types of data. And so if you 
aren't aware of that kind of optionality, you may specify within the query that this type of document must contain fields A through F. Unbeknownst to you, it actually only must contain A through C. And so as you're using the service, I actually didn't say the name of it, pdfdata.com. Yeah. Uh, that's where PDFQL is available and all the tools and APIs are there to use it through. You'll have documents flowing through using that query and eventually you might have a document that doesn't match your query for one reason or another, whether it was over-specified or there's been a significant formatting change or whatever, you just won't get any results out of running the query against that document. Yep. Just like you would if the criteria for a SQL query needs to change based on a shift in how the data is represented in the database. Yeah. And so that's a matter of like remediation. You need to have something in place where if we get no results out of this document, you know, realistically, like in a finance or a healthcare setting, especially if there's automated processes that have concrete impacts, whether or not someone is being issued insurance or not, or treatment or not, or you're going to issue or approve a loan or not, you're not just going to throw things on the floor. You'll make sure that you're getting results back out of the running of these queries. And if it's not there, then you would have me mark that document as an outlier or something went wrong and handle it maybe manually immediately if like you have a timetable involved in handling it and then go back and improve that query in the ways that it needs to be improved. Yeah. Is this like a service? You access a library? What kind of... Um yeah, it's a very classic uh, SaaS service. So you go to PDF data uh, to write and manage your queries. There's a set of in-browser tools for doing so. And you can upload some documents through the browser for like testing purposes, interactively run the uh, queries against maybe your test documents that you have in hand, run batch jobs, which ends up being very useful for non-technical people. You could be a technical enough person to, to write the PDF PDFQL queries, and then an office admin could have a login to your account and they just run the batch jobs every Monday or whatever the, the cadence is of that kind of work, get that JSON or CSV out and then push it along down whatever pipeline exists to handle that. And obviously there's an API on the side. So if you want to automate that sort of thing, you can push documents to us or point them to us. If you have them in S3 or Google Drive or all that sort of stuff, you identify the query that you need to run over them and the job runs. And then right now you need to wait for the queries on uh, like a long polling mechanism, like webhooks and other sorts of integrations like that are yet to come. I should say all of this is, I've been working on it for about three and a half years, but the service itself, like the SaaS wrapper around the engine in the background is only about six months old and just started getting customers onboarded about six weeks ago. I got a handful so far and bring people on slowly as the query language actually continues. I continue to evolve it and make some significant changes as one does when you have a new language that's being used by real people. And so doing a lot of work with those uh, early customers to determine where it's falling short and make those changes that need to be made and moving on from there. I know you from the early adopters in the closure community. Mm -hmm. You've been like an advocate, you've been wrote a book, uh, closure programming, right? It's, uh, the title. And um, the third book from O'Reilly, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. One, one of the most popular books, I believe, is still selling good. I don't think I would characterize it as good. It's old at this point. It was, I think, originally, it was published either 2011 or 2012, if memory serves. And, you know, Closure has been, remained extremely stable. And so it is, I would say, the two thirds of the book that uh, 
are independent of particular tools and practices. Like the last third of the book is about practical things about you know, build systems and how to run a web app and all that sort of stuff. That stuff is very out of date. Yeah. But the foundational bits about what functional programming within a Lisp and Clojure specifically looks like, the advantages of it, and then how to make use of some of its essential features like immutable data structures, lazy seeks, that sort of thing. All that is very pertinent. And so people still find it useful, which is nice that it's had that kind of longevity, at least that larger section that it is sort of not by design or not intentionally by design been obsoleted by it. So that would like let us believe that you are based, basing your business on top of this, but is it true? Oh, oh, uh, basing uh, PDF data and PDFQL yeah. on top of Clojure. No, so I actually did originally start prototyping PDFQL in Clojure and then in Clojure Script as well because my original intention was to have the to have the constraint solver in the background. There's a, a constraint solver that takes the query and the relations that you encode in that query and apply them to the abstract model that we maintain in the background of all the elements, characters, lines, images, et cetera, of the PDF was going to have all that happen in the browser, which I've changed that thinking since then. But over, especially over the early stages of the project, I would, just got frustrated a couple, on, on a couple different counts. I was never able to make some of the key routines necessary to both for the indexing of the PDF primitives and for the actual operation of the solver fast enough within either Clojure or Clojure script. It was, especially in that query authoring process where you want to very rapidly iterate on a query, be running interactively against a document in the browser, it needs to be quite fast in order for that to be a productive experience. On the back end, if queries were slow, that matters less. You can throw hardware at that and that's not a problem. But that, that interactive query evaluation really needs to be responsive and I, I just couldn't get it there. Yeah, and that may have been on me, but it just, I couldn't get it there. And I was also having difficulty as I was, you know, I'm sort of like a computer science dilettante. I don't have any formal training in computer science and so, when you are faced with the prospect of either using an existing solver, like I looked at Z3 or SMT, sort of put those to the side for a little while, ended up writing my own solver for just for this domain, the kind of churn within the code base that happened to occur was really made much more challenging than it might have otherwise been due to the fact that I couldn't just go run a type checker and have it just drop out, here's the punch list of the 18 places I need to go and change now that I've made the major refactoring in order for it to both build and then hopefully test out properly. And so eventually I wandered off. I had done a separate project in Haskell and enjoyed that previously. So I tried doing it in Haskell and ran into very similar runtime performance issues in Haskell. Just because that indexing of the PDF primitives really does require mutability. You want something like a transient kind of or a reducer model where you're just iterating very quickly over the primitives coming out of whatever lower level library you're using to extract the uh, primitive data and then just bang away at the index. And then eventually it pops out immutably at the end. Couldn't get that to work out fast enough in Haskell despite a lot of very, very capable assistance from Haskell folks. And so eventually found my way to OCaml, which I had passed over 15 years prior when OCaml was a much less welcoming environment in terms of the library ecosystem and the tooling. Found that it had improved those aspects of itself 
significantly. And so, yeah, I've been working in Ocamel pretty much full time for three plus years and it's been pretty pleasant. Oh, cool. So now you have a pretty good extensive experience in functional land like between uh, Haskell, Clojure and Ocamel. So, well, can you name a favorite or is it just a matter of the use case that you have? Well, I mean, it's sort of like, it's kind of like music. Whatever song you're listening to now is hopefully the favorite, right? I mean, especially in, especially for me in my context where I do have the, you know, I, I'm the one that's starting the company. I can make the technical decisions as I like. No. I don't have someone that's making those for me. Um, hopefully I'm always using the thing that I find myself most productive in and happiest to work in and whatever the domain happens to be. And so did the, like, for example, is the closure experience influencing the OCaml experience somehow? Or I just... Uh, you mean for me personally? Yeah, or? Yes, for your... Yes. As I said, I, I don't have that formal computer science training or background. And those, those initial years working with closure back in right at the end of 07 and then from there on, it was really a masterclass for me to attend being in the closure community and learning from so many of the early adopters and contributors to, to the language because so many extremely talented people came through and it exposed me to so many of these four concepts like laziness and immutable data structures and referential trends. And, you know, you just walk down all the buzzwords of it. And so, yeah, my usage of Bocamel was hugely influenced by my time spent in Clojure because that was really my first, I'd use Scala here and there, but not for a, a particularly long time. Again tools and ecosystem, just like Ocamel at the time, were a little rough. And so Clojure was so much my home and, and its community, a teacher of those sorts of principles that I, you know, absent that, if I had jumped from just writing Java, as I did for that, for my other PDF product of that's written in Java, if I had jumped straight from Java to Ocamel, I would have had, I think, probably a very challenging yeah. time of it. And so, yeah, I owe a lot of my positive experience now to those experiences in closure before. Is there camel programming coming anytime soon? <laughs> um, no, I mean, the, so the closure programming book that I, that I wrote along with Christoph Grand, who actually is here. Yeah, I, yes, I, yes. Uh, we, I, we got him on Yeah, the, yeah, on great, the great, great. Yes. So hi, Christoph and uh, Brian Carper. Uh, that came, that was a sort of happy accident. I was so early on in the uh, closure community. I. <laughs> just by dint of necessity, I happened to write a bunch of the very early libraries and some of the contributions to the core distribution and stuff like that, that I did have a certain, my name had a certain connection with the language. And so it was, it made sense for me to write that book um, or to me to co-write that book, I should say. But I am very much not, I do not have that status in the O'Camel community. I am very pleased to be there and have found a lot of, again, brilliant people just as I did in the closure community that have helped me along the way. And it would be fun to do, like, I think there's room for a treatment of Ocamel that is perhaps a little more casual is not the right term, but the materials that are available for Ocamel, including the one that's most widely cited that people may have heard of the most uh, real world Ocamel from the folks at Jane Street. That's the friendliest one, but that's still selling short the fact that it really is steeped in a much more rigorous treatment of these topics with a lot of vocabulary that is not going to be familiar to programmer off the street, familiar with put my Python or JavaScript or whatever. And so I think there might be room for a book in the OCaml space that is 
recasting those principles as they're found in OCaml in those terms, but I'm not in a rush to write another programming book. Yeah, no, okay. But yeah, good idea. Something like a functional programming in OCaml thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, is there anything that we forgot to mention that you would like to add? I don't think so. I would say thank you very much to Alex Miller and the team that organizes Strange Loop. This is very much my home, regardless of the technologies that I'm using. Very much my home in terms of meeting people and hearing about people doing interesting work that is often out of left field and pushing boundaries in computation in all possible ways. And also a very open, inclusive, welcoming event. It's easily the best pure software development conference, in my opinion, that you can go to. So a shout out to them. Again, shout out to the PDFL comp crew. Thank you to you, Renzo. You're welcome. Uh, and uh, I guess go to pdfdata.com and hit me up and we'll see if we can process some PDFs. Fantastic. All right. Have a great like final keynote, I guess. We sure, are at sure. the end of the conference and uh, see you around. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.